Please listen carefully. What's up, sisters? Welcome back to another episode of Everyone and Their Sisters. One more time. One more time. What's up, sisters? Welcome back to another episode of Everyone and Their Sister, the podcast where sometimes we say less than nice things about authors that we actually really liked. And then those authors are so good spirited and so great enough that they actually agree to be on our show. My name is Christina. I'm Natasha. And I'm Stephanie. And that's right, friends. Uh, We got to do this interview with Lauren Oliver today for our follow-up panic episode. Uh, It's actually a super fun story. We did the initial panic episode and we did not talk about spoilers because we really wanted people to watch it and to get the satisfaction out of it that we did. But we also wanted to do an episode talking about what actually happened because it's a good there are, mm, guys, there are some tiny tidbit things that are great. So if you're listening to this episode, we recommend you have already watched Panic because not only will we be talking spoilers, but we're also talking about it with the author herself, Lauren Oliver, who found us on Twitter. And I'll let her explain in the interview we did with her how she found us because it was a story I could have never imagined in my wildest dreams. And I just would like to say I'm very happy on this day that we decided to name that episode Ray Nicholson's Titty Fan Club, because I think that did nothing but give us opportunities. And we're still his number one fans. And also to that Lauren Oliver Discord group out there, bless you. We love you. Send us an invite. We'd love to. Yeah, Yeah. please. I want to be in that. I say having, okay, I realized in our previous episode, I said, um, I don't think I've ever read any of her books. I actually don't know if that's true. I feel like I should remind people that as soon as I finish reading a book, I immediately forget that it existed. And so mm-hmm. who's to say what happened in 2010? Maybe I did. Speaking of which, if you don't know who Lauren Oliver is, uh, she's an author, very well known. Her first book was called Before I Fall. It was written in like 2009-ish, I think. 2010 came out in 2010. I have it on my shelf right now. Yeah, it like- First edition. First edition. Yeah, and it became a movie with Zoe Deutsch, one of her faves out there. Vampire (laughs) Academy favorite. Exactly. And like, I think since then, Lauren Oliver has written like, I want to say 23 books. That's that's what I know of. And like, even though I said some disparaging remarks, I've read <laughs> more than half of her books. So so she's a liar. <laughs> so I might be slightly a liar. Who knows? I don't know. But if you guys remember, she wrote that like very popular dystopian trilogy, um, Delirium, which was like very popular after Hunger Games came out. She's written lots of great books including panic and the tv show for the record she wrote the tv show as well single-handedly one woman writer room and that's very important that's known so we're so excited to have you on um about how you got here and i'm so pleased to know that my dumb joke of we're naming this episode the ray nicholson titty fan club oh my god i know no you have to it's the only thing that's going to get views (laughs) i mean let's be real he saved the entire show no it was really funny because i mean I, I, well, so first of all, for some reason, in a link I found, it was a real like roller coaster moment. So I found like somebody had posted a link to this like adorable like Uber fan Discord where there's like all these wonderful creative people and they've just been lovely. So I like love to pop on and freak them out, but also hopefully like give them special things. 
like, you know, some of the people will do chats, the actors and stuff. But anyway, somebody posted a link, but then we were like, somebody called me about it, being like, did you see about the podcast that says <laughs> Ray Nicholson's titty committee? And I was like, wait, what? There's an article about it? So I'm freaking out. I was like, what happened? And then we go on and like titty was spelled really weirdly. So for then I held out hope that it meant like it was a last name. Anyway, then I clicked to the podcast and I was like, no, no, it's tits. But anyway, I soon realized. So I started listening um, because also I have a friend who's actually, she's an actress actually, but she's writing, uh, like collecting stories about tits, like literally boobs. She's obsessed with boobs. So I was like, I met with her the day before. I was like, why are these tits like stalking me across the internet right now <laughs> and so then I listened to it and I thought it was great and I have actually questions for you but yeah then I like got to the point where you're like <laughs> you're like I mean Lauren's like a good writer and stuff but like her story's terrible but then like two seconds later you're like I mean the narrative she was a good like whoever wrote this is really good like they're a good writer you know what I mean so I just had to reach out I am so happy for so many reasons. One, because everything about the titty story is amazing to me. Literally, they were spelled wrong just because I was like, I don't know, this feels like a funnier way to spell it. Let's put this out there. It felt like a rolled doll. Like it felt like a rolled doll way of spelling titty or like a Dr. Seuss. You know what I mean? We did have the question of like, so who has the Google alert set up? that this got to where it did so fast it's so fast I mean they it's so funny I mean again not that I can blame him I mean blame them I mean he's really you know he's just incredible like you know Ray Hall the character was completely I mean it was we made a joke before we ever cast Ray Nicholson I was like you know all the characters are meant to have dimension and strengths and weaknesses and I was like oh except for Ray Hall he's just a piece of shit and then, you know, when Ray, we actually, you would think that actually a, a person who was just kind of like a bully would be easy to find, but, but we can't, it's almost like it's so one note that it, you know, we couldn't find any, it wasn't even scary because it feels so stereotypical. And then when Ray came, he did this incredible audition tape, but mm-hmm. I was like, there's no, I was like, I'm, I don't want to believe that that kid is be- really bad and I never will. You know what I mean? Also, I was so proud of myself. I was like, guys, has anybody noticed the like incredibly bizarre, uh, like, um, you know, similarity or, or looks to, to Jack Nicholson? Like I, I had looked at his <laughs> name and everybody was like, Haha. like thought it was, because it would be the lamest joke ever if I was making a joke, like if I knew. And then I was like really hurt that that was the like limp, like the limp response of other people until I realized it was actually his son, but yeah. <laughs> Also like, I guess like did Ray bring his own like personality to Ray Hall then? Is that? Oh, oh 100%. I mean, we, I rewrote the oh. entire character for Ray. I mean, at a certain oh, point we joked amazing. that for Ray, like at a certain point we joked that Panic was going to be renamed, like none of the Halls did it. Like we were just like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. totally, like Ray Hall. I mean, even then, I mean, look, he has, there's, I mean, obviously he's really young and this is the start, but he's an incredible, he's an incredible actor. He's super serious, but he has this kind of energy that he can push through the screen. I've never seen anything like it, you know? Um, 
It's so yeah. funny you talk about that because literally the exact feeling we had for him is like he starts off and his like first line, you kind of immediately can assume what kind yeah. of like teen bully he is, like the character. You've yeah. got a lot of assumptions about it. But as the show goes on, I was so <laughs> mad to be so deeply charmed. And then his character just like. Yes, I'm really glad you brought that up. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. The yeah. people that listen to this podcast hear me talk all the time and quite frankly, more than the other two. So I can be interrupted at any moment no, and so our listeners people, prefer it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I said this on my, I like on Twitter or whatever. So I think here's the real thing that I feel. It, it's one of the only things that I am committed to deeply that is deeply unrealistic to put in for that age but like um so i grew up in an era of shows you know that i think helped impact why i had terrible taste in men for a really long time right like <laughs> ethan hawk fucked me my life for my life right reality bites etc mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know ray falls in love with heather because she's ambitious because he sees her fly because and he wants her to have what she wants, even if it's not him, right? So even if she has to grow beyond him, like he wants that for her. And that is a very high form of love, right? And it's also, you know, men who don't want, people who don't want other people to be smaller so that they feel bigger, you know, you can't, I mean, I'm not excusing any, there are some, like, you know, there's there's one gesture in particular that unfortunately I didn't know how to see when we filmed it, um, where he, like, at the beginning, he puts his hand on um, Bishop's hair. And I really wish that wasn't in there because it really does have. Now, when I, when I saw it, like, even when it premiered, I kind of, like, flinched because I don't, you know, that's, it, it just, the connotation, somebody wearing a knife on his belt who's white in Texas doing that is, like, not okay. Um, and we just didn't see it. Like, you know what I mean? Um, which is a problem with ignorance, but the rest of them, I'm not excusing either. I mean, he's like completely ridiculous. He's over-sexualized. However, like, you know, a lot of that is, is the posturing of, I'm never afraid of people who work so hard to try to get you to think that they're bad. Right. Like I'm really scared of people who are 100% convinced that they're good, you know? Um, you shouldn't have to try to be like that obviously bad if you're actually bad, you know? So, but I do think that women are responding to it because of that thing. I mean, it's a really special thing. And the thing that's unrealistic about it is only that people would know how to do it so early. And like, I won't show like jealousy as a, as a positive trait, right? Or like, I'll die without you as a positive trait. I don't think that that's romantic. I think that it's narcissistic and scary. You know, but it, I mean, look, I learned that when I was like 37, you know, I honestly think that's what drew me to him, too, though. Like there was like no jealousy factor, not really. But like or was he just- was or he he was, but he didn't take it out on her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like feelings are OK, but behaviors. Yeah. 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 Like the behavior was I was unexpected. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is like a teen show, but it's surprise. like kind of yeah. healthy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I do believe in, in showing I, I, you know, again, it's important to show there are some things that are really hard to balance. Like same thing with we, I mean, that falls into a category of things that as a writer are hard to balance. For example, like, um, you know, when you want to balance, like showing, you know, that's, you know, that many teenage people, no matter what, you know, gender or, or non-binary or whatever, they're not, they're not like 
super badass. Like they may feel bad about themselves. They may even hate themselves, but like they don't have a reason to, they shouldn't like in a way, like it's, it's like people have told them those things about themselves, but like you also want to show them being strong on screen. So you have to kind of do a balancing act of like showing people almost a little bit, just a little bit tiny more than they are, you know, at that age of their life in their life. So that they know they can, can get there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, It's the same way of like, you know, again, it's like, you don't want to show, like we feel this way about when you show stories where somebody's getting bullied for something in the way that still happens all over the world like right but they shouldn't be bullied for it so it's like how do you balance that you know what I mean right you know I think springing off of that a really great thing too to talk about is how impressive it was how full every single character felt Mm -hmm. even when you only saw them for a couple of minutes thank you yeah yeah, yeah, Summer is absolutely one of my She's favorite amazing. characters because She's- she came alive. <laughs> well, so like the thing about it is, is I wrote, like I'm a novelist, so like I do not know how to plot TV. I mean, I do, but the point is, is that there were a lot of things that went into it. When I say I wrote, when I say like, I like to think I wrote like the quantum version of this show, which is I wrote every oh. single possible version. Now, like if it were up to me in my own devices, it would have been, a 90,000 hour character study of every person you've ever seen, even in the background. Like I really, really did. I have like a crazy document on my computer that is everything that happened in the town since 1987, okay? Cause I love world building and I love that. So like, for example, Summer Diggins, like a lot of those characters have, A, I wrote a lot of stuff that never even made it into their hands. And then B, we filmed a lot of stuff that didn't make it onto onto Mm. screen. You know what I mean? Because I find that basically, unless I really understand each character, even if they're only saying one line, I cannot hear the line that it should be. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Like that's always been the case. Like one time I was writing a script, it was amazing. It was about space (laughs) dragons. Don't ask, but also awesome. It literally is still a great pitch and that's probably how dragons will become real. But I remember there was like a cop that had to be on screen for like one second. And I ended up, it took me, I think four days of research of like getting, you know, from, you know, transcripts or radios. And in the end, all he said was like, get back in your car, sir. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't, until I like understood from the inside, it felt like I was just putting a sticker on my script. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, I was just like, can you talk about how, like, did you pitch your own book to Amazon or like TV producers or how did it come about? Yeah. So, um, and don't let me forget to ask you guys a question I'm dying to ask you. Um, so panic was, so I always loved the book panic. I didn't, um, I don't feel that way about all my books. I mean, like I always did the best I could at the time. Right. Um, but, and panic was not by far like my most successful or most liked book. It's the one that's most personally meaningful to me. So, and it also was the one where I felt like I, you know, that there was, that it was a TV show, like that, that there were so many things about the game and about the town and like, you know, the other characters that I never got to explore. So when I, I mean, literally back in 2014, when the book came out, it had been sold to Universal um, for a movie at the time. Uh, immediately the person who bought it, like, again, I knew nothing about Hollywood at that point, 
immediately she left the other guy. I mean, I won't even get into it, but like two years elapsed. I wasn't writing it. You know, somebody else was, it was the most, it was like a very quintessential Hollywood experience. Um, in every way I do remember at one point, like they were like, you know, trying to get it to be more big budget, like more crazy, more this. I mean, by then the script like ended with like a private jet and like, like, and they were pitching that it opens with an explosion and somebody literally said in a meeting, they were just like, but can't you picture it? <laughs> okay. Like made an explosion sound. Um, Is that Michael Bay? Like, yeah. It, they were trying to get it to be like that. It was universal. Right. I've right. never understood also that business model where they're like, we can't make it. It's not $150 million, you know? <laughs> um, so, um, okay. So what had happened was basically we'd waited a really long time for the script and the script, you know, and the revisions, and then it just wasn't good enough to go up the chain. Right. And I was, you know, heartbroken at that time. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know that there would ever be a possibility. So I asked for permission to rewrite it for free. Okay. So I did over the weekend. Okay. They ended up liking it. I like downloaded Final Draft. And it went <laughs> up the chain. It went up the chain to a guy called Kirsch. Uh, I mean, Jeffrey Kirschenbaum, uh, who was at the time president of production of Universal. He, again, really loved the script, but it wasn't, they couldn't fit it anywhere on their slate, right? Because I'd rewritten it to be like much more, obviously in the vein of what I wanted. So much like mm -hmm. lower budget. And so, and interestingly, actually, that was really the start of my, I'd only thought of it as like a one-off thing. Like I wasn't thinking of writing scripts. Um, Kirsch, then three months later, like out of nowhere, I mean, He'd been an executive all his life, which is means he works on the buyer side. Um, he he quit and he became a producer, right? So and he remembered my script and really loving it. And I happened to be in LA um, with my company, and on like literally, he randomly called my agent out of the blue, and was like, you know, do you know this person? Anyway, it was so amazing because. Hollywood is so hierarchical. It's so much worse than people think. It's it's a nightmare place. Of, it's a hellscape, right? <laughs> um, and for no reason. I mean, you know, it's just like, it's like, it's like bridal showers. It's just a cycle of abuse. You know what I mean? And he was so much higher up than me. So, I mean, you know, he was like, even then, you know, to even get to him, right? His name was invoked like a water god. And meanwhile, I happened to be in LA for one more day and he drove like to see me for breakfast. It was like, cause I couldn't get, and it was amazing. And we've been friends ever since and worked together. So, you know, when it came time to, um, we got the project out of universe. At that point I said like, look, I also, I've always thought of it for TV. And he was like, okay. And during that time, I mean, again, I was, I mean, long story short, I was also going out there and like, I really do believe that like, you know, creative work is a little bit like bedroom activities. And like, if you do, if you, if you do it with the right people, then no amount of like missteps or awkwardness is gonna, is gonna ultimately keep it from being a really joyful experience. But like, if you pick the wrong people, no amount of like technical proficiency on either side is going to keep it from being deadening and like just dead in the water. Right. So I had been going out there for years, you know, again, just for my company, like trying to find my people, right? 
it took a really long time. It took like seven years to find four. Kirsch was one. And one of them is this amazing woman, Phoebe Zimmer, who was at the time at Amazon. And yeah, they, she read the book. I think we slipped it to her. I wasn't through my agents. She read the book. She loved the book. And then they set a pitch meeting and I came in. I didn't talk about the plot. I basically told them what it meant to me, which was like, you know, it has a lot of personal meaning to me. Um, and then I said at the end of the meeting, so when are you giving me money? Oh. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. So that's how it started. And I wasn't initially going to write the whole thing. I don't, you know, I'm sure somebody else could have done a great job with it. I was supposed to write the pilot. And then I wrote it, was hired to write a second episode. I think I ultimately actually had written like three episodes beforehand. But we were going to have, you know, a writer's room. And basically mm-hmm. due to a series of unfortunate events, um, <laughs> we couldn't like we just couldn't totally find the right match right um and we by then like didn't have enough time like the weird thing was so it was actually quicker by then for me to do it right um but i really do want to emphasize that because like i think it's like super rude to think that i'm like the only person you know or or like give the impression that i'm like the only person who could have done it. i think it would have actually been and hopefully if we get a season two we'll be much much enriched by having, you know, a group of people. Cause there's just things that I'm not capable of doing or saying, or, you know, for both moral reasons and also for capacity reasons, like intellectual reasons, you know? That's one thing that I thought was really impressive that it was a yeah. one woman right to room. Like that's a lot of time and work. And oh, yeah. I was really impressed on our podcast. I am like the resident TV person. Like we all watch a lot of <laughs> stuff, but I don't read anywhere near as much as them and they don't watch as much tv as i do mm-hmm. so as we were going through this i was like this is such a good adaptation of a book particularly mm-hmm. turned into a good tv show mm-hmm. like i was like everything about this was done so well to mm-hmm. justify it being a tv show oh that's and great like, and, and you know it's ugh. so it's different it's so different from the book but it's thematically the same and i feel like it mm-hmm. uses the medium as well i think honestly probably sometimes the reason that adaptations fail is that they hew too closely to the book, right? At the same time, I will say, had you been anyone other than me, you know, typically authors and creators aren't, uh, they're not allowed to have a voice. And it would have actually been very irresponsible of somebody else to make the changes that I feel capable of making. Sometimes people get mad at, I mean, they get one person, it was my favorite review, literally left a one-star review on Amazon saying, did you even read the book? Okay. <laughs> and I'm literally dying to give her the bad news. You know I mean? <laughs> on the one hand, no, because I wrote it. And on the other hand, like, yes, I wrote it. You know what I mean? Um, but but again, so I, I think, you know, uh, like it, it's, it's odd to me that people, feel, I also think like there's something so narcissistic about the idea that like, a book that like, A, I wrote in 2014 is like, you know, it's like everything must stand on, on right. you know what I mean? Like nothing can be improved upon. All of it was figured out by me. Like, all right, shit, <laughs> you know? Um, I guess like when you were, when you finished writing and you saw the adaptation, were there any things like visually that you found were like, so impressive or that you were really excited about that you saw on screen that you're like this is exactly what I wanted or this was even better than I wanted like in terms of the finished form yeah because we were I mean I think that 
I mean, yeah, I, I think actually, honestly, like the when that hit me wasn't it because because really when you're making it like you're seeing like 87,000 of the same scene a day, you know what I mean? Right. But but we really hadn't like weirdly the thing that you're not seeing or I didn't see at least at least even close to finished form was with the music and the soundtrack. Right. Mm -hmm. And that it turns out makes a big, big fucking difference. You know, I mean, so and actually I hadn't seen it in sequence ever really. Because I mean, I've watched episode, you watch each episode in sequence, but then but then actually as you're going, you're you're back to each individual scene. Oh wait, this piece of dialogue doesn't work. So you're like picking it apart again. You know what I mean? So I had never seen the show uh from episode one on, I actually still only, I haven't seen a past episode six on, I mean, like, I know what happens. I mean, I've seen them all. I will tell you what, what's not impressive is that fucking tiger. And it's really annoying. I'm not going to get into it, but I truly, I'm not going to get into it, but I will send you guys, I'm not kidding. I will send you a video of what I wanted the tiger to look like. And just know that an animal rights group had reached out to me after I posted it being like, this is like, where'd you get this? This is animal abuse. Like everyone thinks it's real and it would have been so much cheaper. But in Hollywood, they're like, again, I told you, they're like, how can we possibly trust this? It's actually budget friendly. No, you know what I mean? Okay, I must see this now because yeah. that's absolutely- literally die. I mean- I also think we now have to talk about the tiger. <laughs> yeah, no, please, let's get into the tiger. I mean, please. I think it's very important to know that uh, in our last episode, Nat was like, where did this tiger come from? It comes from nowhere. Tiger, they're from the beginning, in the book as well. In the yeah. book. I forgot, okay? <laughs> I just- In the book, the pow- the, a literal, the, the most powerful ending in literature. Just kidding. Wait, I'm trying to find this thing that might be worth reading because um, I, so we had a huge article I mean, an argument with the studio about initially, initially about the tiger, um, because, you know, I mean, it's obviously so fantastical. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but and it was it was the only I think that's kind of why I loved panic so much. Like, I've never written an ending to a book or really any part of a book that I fundamentally did not understand. Like, I did not understand. Like, I knew my parents were like professors of literature literature like I knew that it meant something allegorical to me but I like didn't know what it was I mean you know the whole thing about panic the book is that it's basically an allegory of of the journey I took from I was like teenager to when I was in my mid mid 20s when I like crawled out of a hole it was about like a false journey I took to I, I explicitly set out when I was a, in my late teens to break myself of all my fears and um, and my idea of doing that was that I was going to go put myself in some ways in, in harm's way again and again and again until it wouldn't hurt me, right? And, you know, look, I did break uh, many things. Um, and I did break myself of that fear eventually, but I almost, you know, at the cost, uh, like, you know, I almost, I broke all the way down, you know? And the thing that the false journey that Heather goes on as well, that I was on is that the idea of course, that you have to break yourself of these things or you have to do this 
is predicated on the wrong story already, right? Like, so I had set out to do all this and the thing that saved my life, like I was really, really, I mean, so full of self-loathing, so full of self-loathing. Like it was, it's very, very hard to see or read or be reminded of anything from that entire period of my life. You know, I mean, I really, truly, you know, I mean, even like, I literally thought I was so ugly that I would not even have sexual relations facing a person so that they wouldn't have to pretend to see my face. And I don't know if you've seen me, but I'm fine. You know what I mean? Um, Correct. Yes. And so, um, and all the way down, I got to this other thing, this spark that was like, just that suddenly was like, I got, I, I, I really almost died. And then it was like, I got to this spark that was like, full of kind of a desire to like of steady desire to love other people mm-hmm. and to be good and all of that self-loathing it's always predicated on shame and the idea you're a bad person and when I got there I realized that actually I had taken off all of these other stories from other people that I'd gotten and thank god I'd found I'd had the opportunity to find this true story and I rebuilt from there and Heather similarly she starts off she jumps out the cliff we we cheer right and like, it is, I mean, of course I understand why they think that's a form of courage. Of course, you know, you can't win. Part of the message is you like really can't win in a game that you don't control that doesn't give a fuck about your life. So that allegory is what panic is about, right? And so that's why the tiger, the tiger is also about, I mean, not to get too like, oh my God, I went to University of Chicago, but like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an archetypal representation of the shadow self like the monster that you think you have to run from, right? The, which, you know, the idea that I was bad, the idea that I, you know what I mean, had to fix it in order to kind of look it in the face, right? The tiger, I found like, because of the chaos of the tiger, just like that aspect of it just like added an element to the show and presumably the book when I read it, I have read it's so funny because it's literally like in the book it's way more intense too it's, it's so that so was funny. another time i felt so there were two times i felt like the time the first time i wouldn't have even said i wanted to call in i was just like um i mean obviously like i do feel i mean first of all i think it's like really important for people to be able to like handle criticism like not everybody likes your stuff like some people literally hate it that's fine you know what i mean it doesn't that whole point of partly panic is like people can say and feel things about you and it doesn't mm-hmm make it true you know what I mean the funny thing is I read my review and it's raving so no and I mean (laughs) for starters I never I wouldn't engage I mean you know no I don't there are people who have I think said some really really unfair things or really misunderstood it and you know what Mm -hmm. like you don't you know it's okay right you have to be able to be okay with it but like in this case it was just like the first thing was so funny because it was like literally within 30 seconds I didn't actually think you knew I'd I'd had any involvement in the TV show at first, right? Like I was only halfway through the podcast. Yeah. It was like, because again, it was like, so, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but it was like great no, writing no. style, really great. I mean, stories, not great. And then you then went on to rave about the storytelling construction of this whole thing, you know? To be fair, to I be meant, I, I no. specifically meant for Christina that... <laughs> Like, I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I like, I literally meant maybe not for Christina. <laughs> so funny. I, um, I listened I, back to the episode when you reached out to us because I was like, this is the yeah, funniest yeah, thing yeah. in the world. But then the only I thing I felt to defend was this 
fucking tiger because <laughs> I literally was like, it's like the, again, I mean, I didn't understand what that ending was until I was writing mm-hmm. the show, which I mean, it, it, that had been like eight years, you know? Yeah. And given what I just shared about my personal journey, it felt apropos, like I should yeah. probably yeah. know what it meant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want to read one thing. Imagine you've just started working with somebody, okay? And you get an email <laughs> like this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's 97,000 words long, okay? I'm like, tigers are meant to destabilize to a certain extent. So that actually, the chaos is exactly right. To represent an inexplicable and ineffable seam in the world between the stories we tell ourselves, our understanding of the world and the actual world, full of strange and ancient truths we both fear and revere and have no control of. To some degree, the power of their symbolism is contained in their resistance to our understanding, their presence despite its seeming inexplicability. Uh, They are a capital T truth that is different from the stories we tell ourselves, which largely turn out to be unhelpful, unhelpful lies, like the lie that Heather is going nowhere like the lie that Dodge is playing for revenge when really he is trying to rewind time to make something terrible feel or be less terrible by enacting it again. The tigers are all of Heather's unvoiced fears, all the things she's afraid to look at because they reflect her real anxieties. Then I go, so you see, executive name, I ask that tonight you let the tigers into your heart. I ask that you try and sit with them and with the discomfort they cause and ask yourself, what is that true thing they represent that you want to get rid of? Oh, I've also previously said, do not make me send you my long email explaining good, evil, and the entire nature of God, because I will. Then I say, I'm not going to read the whole thing, because boom, monologue coming. If it's a fear that people won't believe in them, then remember, this is a show not about fear, but faith. The feeling they don't belong in such a place, da 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 If it's irritation that they seem to be outside the central narrative, remember that all the stories the main characters know prove false when they wash up against the truth of what is. And if what they, if if, if it is that they do not speak to you in a way you understand, like the rest of the show does, actually all stories are true. This one is true. The tigers are definitely fucking speaking to you and they are true. And they are saying, push us to the shadows. But remember that is where we like to hunt. (gasps) The energy. The energy of this. Also reload about something like that is, you know, when that kind of background and history and like understanding and allegory is behind a plot device or any any kind of storyline in a show or a book, you can feel it when it's there, even without really understanding all of the history and all the things that you're putting behind it. But then also you can have that just really great moment at the end when the tiger attacks him and you're like, well, this is just amazing. Well, I'm so glad you again said that because I mean, you know, look, obviously there are people who are like, you know, what the fuck, but actually I truly believe what you just said is true. And it has to be true because otherwise, and I didn't even think of this, but like, otherwise the tiger at the end would be, I mean, it would have jumped the shark. I mean, it would literally be, you know so convenient so dumb pointless like it would not everybody would be but like instead there's like a kind of strange like delirious like giggliness about it and people feel and people feel empowered by the end and people feel this I mean I really do believe that people take this kind of undercurrent and true message from how Mm -hmm. from about how and why and and you know what is made even if they can't articulate it you know what I mean? And we even said, I wanted like, to ask you guys a question. Oh, sorry, oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say quickly, like even in the last episode, we did say 
um at some point like there was a moment where we were like we knew what was going to happen and it wasn't a bad thing but we needed it to happen and the satisfaction that's what i was gonna ask you said on the last thing yeah there was a story element that you'd be like what is it i okay i am so pleased about this and it's specifically that nat is a judge because it starts off and she gets so angry at Heather for joining. And we're like, this is odd. Like, why is she mm-hmm. so angry about this? Like, there's something that just like didn't quite feel right, even though all the words she was saying made sense. Yeah. It just felt odd. That's and then she immediately, like they make up the next day and that was like, well, that's the conversation we thought you would have when you guys first talked about this. And then she double crosses her with Dodge. And Mm -hmm. as we're watching that, I'm like, no, something's going on. And I think we made the point, we said something at one point that was like, Mm -hmm. well, actually we just kept doing a thing for an entire episode. We're like, what if they were a judge? But what if it's them that's a judge? Because we wanted so bad what it was. But when we got to Nat, it just kind of like stuck. And our, right. at the moment when I was like, we know, is when it right. announces, the, when it's revealed that like a judge is always planted in the contestants mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to make it to the end. And right. that's what we were screaming. It's not. That's why she yeah. can make the plans. She's never going to win the money to have to right. split it with two people. Mm-hmm. And we said, if Nat is not a judge, we're mm-hmm. better writers. Yeah, I know. And then, was but then Nat was a judge. Yeah, and I was like, well, this is great. <laughs> also better feminists. I mean, one thing that I do regret, because I think it was, it's funny. I mean, some of these things, even at no matter how many times you look at it, I mean, like the tattoo on Rhea's shoulder, but like, which switches shoulders, but, but then there was another, there was like a single line that got cut from episode 10 and we have no idea how it got dropped, but it would have made, so, because, you know, Nat is a very problematic character in many personal ways, but what that line had really done, you know, was reaffirmed that you know she was angry at heather because you know she obviously wants her friend then to win and that's like a really bad position to be in you know she doesn't even know who the second judge is like Mm -hmm. she you know it could be incredibly endangering for them both and she's also scared about heather getting hurt you know Mm -hmm. like what kind of like burden on that would be if you you know as a judge so (laughs) but also you know, and she didn't intend to make films for Judge, but she legitimately, she was planning to double cost Judge. She was trying to figure him out. She needed information about him. And like, I I mean, I, because I really, I have like very strong, very strong female friendships and I have the same core three best friends from when I was five years old, right? And I was just like, I know this is a trope, you know, this is another trope that I saw growing up a lot and I'm sure you see less now, but I'm like, I have never in my life seen two female friends fall out over a guy, okay? Now I can imagine you having, I've seen people like have rivalries with people they weren't friends with over a guy, right? Like people they don't know, people in high school that they're not friends with. I have never in my life seen that. And the truth is this, go anywhere in the world I was literally once the only time in my life I was like actually felt scared I was going to be physically harmed by a person who was very angry for whatever, a bunch of reasons. Anyway, we ended up fine. We ended up hugging and then like spending like a lot of time together and whatever. But she, the thing that had bonded and de-diffused the situation was I started, like, we basically started complaining about men. You know what I mean? Like, the, you know, 
<laughs> Obviously, this applies only to heterosexual, you know, point of view or whatever. But or maybe not. I mean, because like, you know, you have to interact with men anyway. Um, so like, you know, it's actually even people who are strangers or whatever. You know, women have always, you know, at the end of the day, like they protect they protect each other. You know what I mean? And they help each other out. So like, I wanted that to be. And it, of course, became more complex for her. She did have to see those things on the train bridge, but she was really horrified mm -hmm. that they were showed. She didn't know that that would be the case, you know? Um, she, there was, like, clarifying things. Like, for example, you know, there was a clarifying moment at the end where you're like, okay, right, she did rat herself out for cheating so Heather could get back in the game. Also, when she put her down there, right, everybody's always freaking out about that. Like, the guy was shooting... In, you know, off his porch, the cops were going to come. There was no chance of Heather getting to the house except for through the tunnels, which Matt knows about. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you know, but, but we'd had lines like that. And some of that is just, unfortunately, like it's too explicatory. You know what I mean? And you don't realize that at the, until the end, that it's like too much exposition and dialogue, etc. you know? So, but it bums me out because again, Natalie is a very, I think in some ways the most, like one of the more damaged characters but she does love her friend. Like she really mm -hmm. loved Heather, you know? Yeah, I love that. I, I, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I feel like in the book, didn't she, didn't not have OCD? In the book, I don't remember because I didn't reread it, but um, she was a very different kind of character, but it was the yeah. same arc, basically. Okay. Like okay. you are, you know, she was a, a very different version of that we took some of her sexual dynamics in the book mm. and kind of reconceived them by we, I mean, I, but like, <laughs> I mean, everybody like together. Not, no, actually I don't mean that. I mean with Jessica Sula <laughs> as well. Cause I, cause with Jessica, for example, you have to write to the actor. I was like, nobody's going to, she was kind of quote unquote, it's a word I hate, but like she was perceived in the book as like ditzy, right? She was a party girl. Right. She was like not seen as that smart. And I was like, Jessica doesn't have that energy. Right. So then to achieve the same kind of um, arc for her, we needed to find this other thing. And that became acting and surfaces and mm -hmm. like, you know, making this whole story about her mother um, and, you know, kind of obviously paying the price price for that uh, kind of dissemblance. Um, so you know so yeah i mean they were different but again like it's mm -hmm. that's the same you could say with a lot of the characters except for right who's a completely different arc <laughs> that we really tried to mine you know when you're working with the actors you 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 can't just like spackle your own thinking onto them like right. it's such a it's such a waste were you heavily involved in the casting or did you yes. you were yeah, yeah. I was. I mean, we had amazing casting agents and they went through like thousands and thousands. But yes, ultimately, for sure. And there were things that I was really surprised by because, of course, I'd never done any of it before, um, yeah. which were like, for example, like chemistry reads are like a thing. Like chemistry is like an actual thing. Yeah. Um, not just on dates. I don't know why I thought like that would be the case in real life, <laughs> not on screen, you know. Um, and like you could and sometimes you would have like two amazing actors, really separately and you would put them in scenes together and it was so odd it was like it they killed the vibe so that was really interesting to me and also what was interesting to me is sometimes you'd be in the room and a person um would be really dynamic and you'd love it and then for some reason the energy got trapped behind the screen 
So when you looked at it on screen, you couldn't, none of it was conveyed. And then vice versa. Like there were people who in the room were maybe less, you know, for whatever reason, you're just, in, and then on screen, they, it was very, that part is still very mysterious to me. I know I have another conference call. I could talk for Evs, but <laughs> this was the best. Yeah. We're so glad you could take the time uh, to talk with us because this was so much fun. Yeah, it was. One of our favorite interviews ever. I will always appreciate that we got a chance to do this. This was absolutely great. Well, yeah. I'll come back to trash talk the state of modern publishing. And <laughs> we're here yes. for us. Yes. No, but thank you guys. And thank you for obviously, you know, not just for watching, but for, you know, engaging with it. Like I said, I mean, even the non-fact check things. No, but like, <laughs> but it's, it's really fun and pleasurable for me to see people just like consuming, like engaging with it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like I love when people live tweet from it, even though it's like, <laughs> sometimes vicious it's just so fun it's so energetic i love it you know <laughs> listen we'll be here tweeting about it as much as we can because i know in the age of 2021 the way to get a season two is with hashtags so yes, we're gonna get is. this i need <laughs> yeah, the season two have, like, i cannot leave it on different platforms i never understood that until i mean you know that's why i need you younger younger folk you know what i mean <laughs> um i'm never naming anything like a generic word for a condition that many people are experiencing um, all the time and also in record numbers, you know? Yeah. yeah. Although, yeah. I don't know, like if, as long as the person who's doing, as someone in marketing, as long as the person who's doing the data analysis is not cleaning it up very well, it could they show that they amazing. I can tell you this, if they're doing any data analysis, they're not, right? Like I was like, literally like the first people who did it, I was like, okay, Panic at the Disco is a different thing. And like, <laughs> this is a, a, like an anime game. You know what I mean? But I'll take it. You know? <laughs> Love as it. long as the as long as the people that renew stuff just see the numbers and not what's underneath yeah. it that's all that matters exactly exactly well thank you guys for your support i really love it and this thank, thank really you so fun. much for being on we really appreciate it and yeah. we'll try to get this episode out we want more people to watch panic yay me too yay. okay guys all right bye. thanks so much thank bye you. bye and that was our interview with lauren oliver thank you guys so much for listening i can genuinely say like I was so pleased we got this interview because this was truly Nat's third round of panic with like her biggest fear. Like when Lauren initially tweeted at us, like, I want to be on the show because I want to set the record straight. She was absolutely joking, but I decided to embrace audacity and we DM'd her and said, no, but do you actually want to be on the show? And she agreed. And it's been the funniest thing in the world because we spent that entire night over Instagram chatting with each other going, okay, but please listen back to the episode. What did we say? Nat, you're fine. You're fine. It was actually nice. It's fine. You were just wrong about the tiger. But what we learned is from this interview, Lauren is just as audacious. And I she think is. that makes us, that makes her our people. Yeah, that was the one thing that I really felt that whole interview. Uh, the audacity was strong and I loved it the whole time. We did not have to do any work in this interview. And my favorite episodes of our podcast is that is where we don't have to do very much work. <laughs> We're a hot mess. Thank you guys so much for listening. Really appreciate it. As always, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at EatsCast. Uh, we'll have a thread about this episode. We highly recommend you check out our Twitter on it. The exchange that Lauren Oliver was talking about, it was genuinely one of the best moments of my life. Please go check it out. Uh, let us know your thoughts about Panic or about this interview there. Bye. Bye.
trash here we're both <laughs> trash that's this show guys we're just trash, we're trash with each other we literally decided earlier today in a in a, if, okay you have to find a way to keep this in this episode or we're going to do something in opposite of that disgusting twitter thread of white man books that people reread that had no fiction and just had gross military business nonsense we are literary raccoons okay we are quite literally in the trash and that's why we should fuck on top of a car copyright copyright marina because she made that line we don't want to take credit marina marina on twitter no marina is her marina at at a makeshift lib on twitter if you would if you also are trash raccoon literary trash raccoon Okay, I'm done. We're ending this. We're ending this. I love this. It's 8 p.m. It's 8 p.m. I have an episode of Loki to watch.